The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. If you have your Bibles, you can go with me to the book of Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to preach just a short message this morning. You know that's not true. Matthew opens his gospel with the uh, Christmas story, the account of Jesus Christ coming into the world as Emmanuel, God with us. And people tend to quickly blow through the first 17 verses of this book because it's just a list of names. But I want to remind you that every word in the Bible is inspired and hence important. And within the first part of Matthew chapter 1, we find massive implications. For starters, Matthew doesn't begin the Christmas story with the words, Once upon a time, or in a galaxy far, far away. No, he begins with historical fact. See, the Christmas story is not fantasy. It is not fiction. It is a historical event. The story is not metaphorical. Who Jesus is and what he does is absolute truth. There's something else, though, in these verses I want us to see. Namely, that the Christmas story and ultimately the gospel extends beyond gender barriers, social barriers, and even moral barriers. See, Christmas means for all of us who would repent and trust in Jesus, no matter of our past, no matter of our brokenness, that all of us are welcome into the family of God because of who Jesus is and because of what he has done. Do you believe that? Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The Word of God says that the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab. And Amidadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph. And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Verse 12. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheatil, and Sheatil the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, and Abiad the father of Elikim, and Elikim the father of Azar, and Azar the father of Zodok, and Zadok, excuse me, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob. 
and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Well, the ancient historian Josephus points out in his writings that the Jews actually used genealogy to establish a person's inheritance, their heritage, their legitimacy, and their rights. See, genealogy in ancient cultures was of great importance. Pedigree functioned almost like a resume would today. The, this ancient culture was very communal. The Western world is, is very individualistic. So your pedigree was your resume. It's a good practice, as you know, to put something really important or out, some outstanding accomplishment at the top of your resume that kind of stands out. In Matthew follows suit, opening with a sentence that calls Jesus the Christ. Kind of cool to have at the top of your resume. So then he connects Jesus to David and to Abraham. Now the title Christ points us back to David as the anointed king of Israel. And this term then became associated with the Messiah who would come to be the hope of Israel. And Matthew connects this to Jesus. You may remember back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, that God promises David through the prophet Nathan that his kingdom would be established and it would, it would reign forever. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy. He is born through the royal line of David. And how many know that his kingdom will indeed be forever? Matthew then connects Jesus to Abraham which ties him to the Abrahamic covenant. God promises, if you remember Abraham, that through his offspring, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And Christ, again, is the fulfillment of that covenant. And because of Christ's birth, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, how many know that both Jews and Gentiles, every nation, every people, are invited in to the family of God by grace through faith? So these are helpful inclusions to have on this genealogy. Now, if we're honest, there are parts of our life or certain jobs that we intentionally leave off our resume. Are you with me? We kind of tinker with our resume because there's things about you you don't want other people to know. Like when you're listing personality traits, you don't list lazy, really sensitive, over-emotional, don't show up to work a lot of the time procrastinator. Brothers and sisters, leave those things off your resume and change them. Amen? Those qualities will not help you land a job. And think about this. If you were to list out the people who are in your family tree, if that was going to help you get some position, how many know there's probably some people that you would leave off that list? A weird uncle, a crazy cousin, somebody. But there's somebody you don't want associated with you. And so in the ancient world, people would, like we tinker with our resumes, people would kind of tinker with their genealogies. There are certain people that they would leave off. Well, Matthew does the opposite with Jesus' ancestry. He actually includes people in this genealogy that hurt someone's reputation, 
that he wouldn't have expected to put on this list. Matthew leaves these people off. Now, I want to just quickly go through this. Let me give you three anomalies found in Matthew's genealogy here. Here's the first one. This list includes women. All right? You've got Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba listed here as the wife of Uriah, and you have Mary. All right? So these are five women. Now, that may not strike you as odd, but in the ancient world, this was quite unusual, where lineage was traced through the men. For women to even be listed like this was very abnormal, and if they were, it was for some particular reason. But Matthew doesn't just include one woman. He includes five women. In that day and age, as many of you know, women were very marginalized, yet we see here the value that God places on women. Amen? And these women play a vital role in the plan of God, as a matter of fact, the redemptive plan of God. So Matthew, and and realize he's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is compelled to break this social norm by including five women in this account. So the Christmas story reminds us of this, that we all have God-given purpose, that we all have value, men and women alike. There's a second anomaly found here. Not only does he list five women, but three of the women are Gentiles. So this list includes Gentiles. Now, the term Gentile, in case you're not familiar with that, refers to an individual who is not a Jew. So to the Jews in the ancient world, Gentiles were considered what Tim Keller calls racial outcasts. They were excluded from temple worship. Could you imagine? They were considered unclean by many of these Orthodox Jews. A Jew did not want in any way to associate with Gentiles. Yet I love Matthew's heart and the the Holy Spirit's inspiration in this that three of the five women listed here, Tamar, Rahab, and Ruth, are in fact Gentiles. People would leave them off the list of that genealogy, but Matthew intentionally leaves them on. See, according to strict Jewish tradition about being ceremonially unclean, it was almost impossible for Jews to associate with Gentiles on any level because of these traditions of purity. Tim Keller points out Jesus' reversal. I love this, of this mindset. The Gentiles thought, or the Jews, excuse me, thought, if I come in contact with a Gentile, I'm going to become infected with their paganism. Or their uncleanness. Maybe you know some people like that to the kind of on their moral high horse and they want to avoid certain people because they feel they're going to be contaminated. Now, I understand that the, the, the scriptures and it talks about, you, you know, uh, evil company corrupts good habit. But listen, we're not called to be spiritual hermits. There's a lost and dying world that desperately needs Jesus. And we've got to be willing to go where Jesus would have us to go and to touch the lives of people that may not look like us, act like us, have our same values. We've got to be really willing to reach those people. But here's the, the heart of Jesus. His holiness cannot be contaminated by coming into contact with us. Instead, when we encounter Jesus, His holiness infects us. Amen? A total reversal of that mindset. Dr. Craig Keener 
writes that one purpose of the Jewish genealogies was to highlight the purity of one's Israelite ancestry. In Matthew, he says, deliberately emphasizes Gentiles in Jesus' ancestry because he wants us to see that God's plan was for all peoples all along. Jesus, this, this was not a new plan that, oh, well, maybe we'll bring everybody into this family. No, from the beginning, God's plan was, his heart was for all people. That ought to make you feel really good today. Amen? Now, not only does Matthew include women and Gentiles in this list, but he takes it one step further by including blatantly immoral people. We know that we have all sinned. We talk about this often. We all fall short of the glory of God. But Matthew's list includes people who even by today's loose standards would be moral outcasts. Let me just give you a few examples here. Number one, Rohoboam and his son Abijah were both incredibly wicked rulers. Yet God is working throughout all of these generations listed to the, and I'm including the good, the bad, and the ugly. He's working through all these men and women to bring about his good purposes. And I want to just take a rabbit trail for just a moment and encourage you today. You may not be happy with the state of our country right now. There may be certain leaders that you're not fond of. Or maybe that was the case at some time in the past for you. Maybe you're not happy with the things even in our city Maybe there's somebody in government or political power that, you, and you're just wondering, listen, I don't see how God is going to work through this. But I want you to know that God supersedes even our really bad choices. He's a sovereign God and he's on the throne. And he's so powerful that he can go beyond our evil hearts. God can go beyond those bad decisions, the dysfunction that our country's in. And he can bring about his good purposes. Are you with me? That's really good news. If you were just to sit down and read through the book of Genesis, you will read some crazy stories. And you have to think, if you didn't know the rest of the Bible, the rest of the story, you would have to think to yourself, how is God going to fix this? But we serve an almighty, all-powerful God. Amen? And he is able. Then he lists some other people as well. Judah, for instance, who is one of the, the sons of Israel, sons of Jacob. And he lists his daughter-in-law. This is Judah's daughter-in-law, Tamar. Now, you want to talk about messed up. Judah was unjust to Tamar. And so she tricks him. This is his daughter-in-law into sleeping with her. This is the Bible. All right? This is dysfunction. You think your family's dysfunctional. So Matthew includes Tamar, I believe, to ensure that we get the whole picture. That there was, in fact, incredible dysfunction in this family. Yet, God's purposes were accomplished. Then he mentions Rahab. Rahab was not only a Canaanite, but also a prostitute. Then King David. And you say, well, wait, King David, he's royalty. That's somebody you want on your resume. Well, Matthew points out, instead of just listing David, he points out that Solomon was born to David, quote, by the wife of Uriah, end quote. So instead of just using Bathsheba's name, or instead of leaving 
Bathsheba off altogether, which would have been customary in that day, Matthew reminds us that she was once the wife of one of David's loyal men. And you may remember the story that David looked upon her while Uriah was off to battle. And David wanted her. He lusted after her. This is a man after God's own heart. And yet he was weak in this moment. And he calls for her and he sleeps with her and she becomes pregnant. And so to make matters worse, to cover his tracks, David, what does he do? He has Uriah killed. Now Bathsheba can be his. What I want you to see is this. Every person listed in this genealogy of Jesus, all of them fall short of the glory of God. None of them are listed there because of any merit of their own. And I believe that these first 17 verses are showing us why Emmanuel, God with us, had to come. He tells us in verse 21 that Mary will bear a son and call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so you read the first 17 verses and you see the necessity for that. Amen? So in this genealogy, we find women, Gentiles, and blatantly immoral people. What does it mean? It means that every one of us need a Savior. It means that Christmas is good news for every single one of us. Again, not a person listed in these verses outside of Jesus is without sin. Even Abraham sinned. He was deceptive. He lied. No, even married sin, because my Bible says that there are none righteous, no, not one. We all need a Savior. Here's what I love about the gospel. See, the king, David, and the prostitute, Rahab, both were sinners. They both need a Savior. There's not some moral elite who don't need the Lord. Every one of us need a Savior. This is why Jesus came. It's crystal clear. Maybe you came in here today and you feel really ashamed. And you say, well, I get the Christmas message, but it's not really meaningful to me. Pastor, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I was even last night. Because I know what some of you all thought. Because I've heard this. You wanted to come see your child perform in this Christmas play But there's probably somebody in here who thought, if I walk in the doors, the church might burn down. And that is a common thought. But that thought is not from God. Because I want you to know, if you feel like your life is dysfunctional, dysfunctional, if you are broken and you can't repair yourself, you're in good company. Just read Matthew 1, 1 through 17. Every one of us need a Savior, and Jesus came to save people just like you, and listen to me, just like me. We all need a Savior. Here's the great news. This is the Christmas message. There is hope for every single one of us. If you still have breath, there's hope for you today. That's the message of Christmas. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org.
Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.